Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Adam Tacey, Senior Manager, Nissan Marketability and Testing, Nissan US. On today's episode, Adam and I discuss Nissan's unique approach to design and user experiences. We hope you enjoy this episode. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'm excited to have you here. Nissan historically has done a wonderful job with design, and I can't wait to uh, dive in today to the design philosophy. Before we get into that, though, I'd love to know, what is the Nissan Markability and Testing Group focused on? So my area is actually the the UX or user experience marketability and testing. So uh, what we focus on is really we want to deliver excellent user experience for all aspects of the vehicle. But my team is focused on really all of the displays and controls within the vehicles, as well as kind of mobile applications that users interact with their vehicle outside of their car. So so that's the area that we focus on. And we do a lot of user research to try to understand really what's what our user expectations, you know, for controlling those different displays. Uh, and we want to try to predict where their experiences will will change their expectations in the future. Do you start with the mobile phone first, then go to the vehicle since the mobile is so ingrained into life across society? Definitely mobile is obviously a much larger part of people's lives than they were, you know, five or 10 years ago, for sure. It is an aspect that we look at. Since we are a, a car company, we do start with that in-vehicle experience, just because that is that is kind of the, the the core experience that someone has with their vehicle is is the actual driving experience and interacting with their vehicle in, inside. Definitely, we see mobile experience becoming more of a driver going forward, but right now it's not the the primary. Do you carry the in-vehicle user experience over to the mobile app? So the driver of the Aria vehicle, for example, they love their vehicle, they're comfortable with it, they like the way it's designed. Will that carry over to the user interface in the mobile app as well? Absolutely. Definitely there there are things that that play off each other, kind of the in-vehicle experience as well as how the mobile app is displayed. Uh, Of course, there are some differences because... You know how you interact with your phone is different than how you interact with the vehicle, and you know some of those are intentional. So, yeah, there, there definitely is a relationship in, in how information is shown and making sure that the correct information is shown both in vehicle and on the displays, and to make it a more cohesive vehicle experience. There's a common denominator from the Aria vehicle to the mobile phone today. There's no buttons. How did you design a dashboard free of traditional buttons? I looked at the photos. So this is gorgeous. And then if you're looking at it from a mobile phone, it's that same similar experience that we're all used to tapping an app or tapping the screen. Yeah, so that was definitely one of the real design intentions of this vehicle is to have a very simple and clean and relaxing experience inside the vehicle so that you know when you enter your, your vehicle and vehicle's off, you know it's a nice calming experience. You don't see kind of a, a wide array of buttons that are there. However, once the vehicle turns on, you know, we have this unique panel of certain key controls that are available for direct access and easy to use and operate while you're driving, which we think is a very important uh, aspect of kind of that vehicle experience to have a simple user interface while you're driving. So yeah, we wanted to keep things simple, but also make sure that the kind of the important functions that are necessary for easy access while driving are still available and useful. Simple cells, I, I like the relaxing aspect. If an individual taps it, do they get any sort of feedback? Does the light change color? What does that look like? It's called a haptic feedback. So similar to 
If you remember, like when, when iPhone, they kind of deleted the physical button, the circle button, and they went to really an invitation button, but it really felt like the same button, uh, but it wasn't an actual button. It was a surface change that gave you that feeling of a click that you pressed a button. So it's a similar type of technology that's used to make a completely smooth panel respond in a way that, that makes you feel like you're pressing a physical button. So that was really important to be able to have that type of technology and that performance to be able to make it easy for people to understand while they're driving. Oh yeah, I, I just made that selection. I don't have to keep looking at it as I'm making the change. I can keep my eyes on the road. So that was a really important part that we we wanted to keep within the design to ensure that that people are are not being distracted with trying to operate too many things uh, within the, the main display while they're driving. It's smart because consumers are used to that feedback of the habitat. They're used to it. It's something that they know it's not coming out of left field. You can also make the argument that could potentially lead to a safer driver because they're not getting distracted. You're seeing vehicles today across the board, SUVs, sedans. The screens are co- they're getting bigger, 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 and even bigger. Soon we're going to have Jumbotron screens in there the way they're going. Why did you opt for a dashboard with no buttons instead of, let's call, I'm going to call it the ever-growing screen? Right. Yeah, so there definitely is, there are different design philosophies and design trade-offs that can be made for different options that you mentioned of you know, potentially increasing the screen to have all that uh, content in there. And I think that um, you know, what we see in, in our research is that there's definitely things that people operate on a regular basis uh, that we want to be a simple and easy and intuitive experience that doesn't require a lot of operation on a screen through some complicated menus uh, to be able to find what you're looking for. So we wanted to have a good balance of clean and simple with providing the the right type of controls that are easily accessible. Because uh, again, I, I think sometimes it's it's maybe difficult for everybody to to realize. But you look at our phones and you know how they're designed with with no buttons whatsoever. It's just a large screen. Reason reason that that can be done like that is because it's uh you know when you're operating your phone, that's what you're doing. That's your your main task. When you're driving your car, you're driving your car right? You, you need to be focused on the road. You should be uh, and minimize the other things that you're doing. So we really wanted to make sure that we offered an experience that was an experience that didn't distract from that primary task of driving. You're creating a safer car. Complex menus. I can't tell you how many times my father-in-law calls me, Gray, how do I play music in my car? How do I do this? I connected my iPhone and uh, my music doesn't work. Where do I go? And it's and, and the gentleman's 90, and he's confused, poor thing's confused on, on where to go, how to find it. So he's a big Frank Sinatra guy, so he wants to listen to his music when he drives. And then he's confused, but you're taking the simplistic approach. Is simplicity one of the core design philosophies as you were looking to design this vehicle? Definitely, that was, that was one of the, the key things. How do we have a simple design, a simple interaction? It, it's, it's very important. I, you may have heard some prior... Uh, information about uh, kind of what people are going through, it's called like uh, decision fatigue, where people are, are bombarded with so many decisions in their life. So that what we're trying to deliver with this vehicle is a, a simple experience where some of those kind of regular decisions can be removed so that, you know, you can just be presented with a key information that, that you need to be able to, to do what you want and not be overwhelmed with 
too much or too, too much complication. So that was really one of the kind of key thought processes behind the design of the ARIA. You're eliminating stress. Well, you're eliminating stress. You're creating a really wonderful user experience. Is it resonating with your customers? Yeah, we've gotten, um, I mean, the ARIA is, is going on sale soon. Uh, we've gotten really positive media feedback so far uh, regarding the, the experience with it, both the, uh, the driving experience as well as the, the interior interaction with the vehicle. So yeah, it's been very strong reaction so far. If that strong reaction continues and, and turns into sales and the car goes gangbusters and, and starts selling a lot of them, will you build upon that design philosophy and continue to integrate that into possible other models or, or new vehicles that might come down the pipe? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of what my team does here is, you know, we're always looking to build and improve upon, you know, what we've what we've done before, like the continuous research that we do to to really understand, okay, hey, we're, we're good where we are here, where can we become great? So absolutely, the, the positive points that we've, we've learned through the ARIA development, we're applying those on future vehicles and also looking to kind of step beyond to, to meet that future customer expectation. It's definitely a big part of that. Do you see integrated design carrying over as more consumers shift to electric vehicles than robo-taxis come online? Because I'm thinking of two things. If I'm operating a robo-taxi, it's easier to clean it's, it's less moving parts, less things that can break. The whole goal, one of the big goals of electric vehicles is, is less moving parts, easier to maintain. Do you see that trend possibly carrying over to the global auto industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity for design integration, you know, whether you're talking kind of electrical architecture integration, where you're combining multiple control units into kind of one master unit. There's definitely opportunity for that from an interior integration Yes, there's there's lots of opportunity for that going forward. I think what we have to think about is as we look to integrate different functions together, how do we make that user experience still a positive one? Because again, we could we could just simply put all buttons into the the main screen, uh, and if we have again complicated menu structure to be able to access those things, that's going to be a pretty terrible user experience. So uh, we have to think how to intelligently integrate things. And how can we, how can we automate various tasks through machine learning of user preference? How can we understand what the user is really trying to do, why they're trying to do it, so that we can present them different pieces of information at the right time? So those are things that we're looking at, how to integrate things smartly and end up with a much better user experience. Because in the future, the phone will become the key and all your preferences will be stored on the phone. Do we get to the point where, for instance, Adam, you're going in vehicle A, I'm going in vehicle B, and the experience could be different just based on our preferences. Perhaps you like the vehicle a little warmer, I like it a little colder, or my favorite color is blue, so perhaps the buttons light up in blue where yours might light up in orange. Is that kind of where do you see this going? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we see people want to be able to personalize and customize their car and their, their in-car experience. So they want, they want something that's catered to them. So we need to have a certain level of customization that's, that's available. But yeah, we want, that a, we want a simple experience to be able to deliver that customization. So with customization can add a lot of complexity. So how do we make it very easy for someone to go from vehicle A to vehicle B and bring all that customization with them so that it's set up exactly the way they want to want to and they don't have to go through a, another 
you know, few hundred settings that they need to adjust to, uh, to get it the way they want. Nobody wants to do that. And then my phone call rings. Greg, I got a new car. I can't figure this out. I love for that. And my father-in-law gets in the vehicle and he calls me. You're never going to believe us. It works. Okay. Mission accomplished by the design team there. All this is going to run on software. Does software out putting, obviously safety is very important, the most important thing. But outside of that, is software going to become the most important element of the vehicle? I mean, software in general, it's in, it's in all parts of the vehicle, really, not all parts, but uh, vast majority of, of, of parts and, and things that uh, things that provide some sort of function in the vehicle are, are controlled by some level of software. So definitely software development and kind of intelligently designed software is, is going to be very important going forward. I, I don't think that software is the complete story of user experience. There is a absolutely the kind of physical ergonomics of where you're sitting, how easy it is to reach different things, what you can see. That is also plays a big part of what the user experience is and, and how someone perceives their, their vehicle and their interaction with their vehicle. So software is definitely a, a big part of it, but it's definitely not the only part. That's a very interesting point. Is it, for instance, I'm just going to use broad numbers here, say if the seat's um, a half an inch higher or half an inch lower, does that make a difference in how the consumer perceives the vehicle? It can, for sure. Because again, based on your seating position, let's say, you know, if it's if you're sitting in a certain way and the, the screen is positioned a certain way, you could end up a situation where you're having reflection. That's, you know, sunlight that's coming through the window a certain way to kind of reflect directly back into your eyes. And that's a pretty terrible experience. So properly laying out the, the vehicle, the seating position to make sure everything's in proper reach and that you can see very clearly all the different displays and reach everything as, as needed. That's a big part of delivering good experience too. When you're in the team or you're working on the user experience, you're looking at the whole thing. You're not just looking at one element in silos. Are you just saying, looking at, okay, what is this entire user experience when the individual gets into the vehicle, you're looking at every aspect across the interior of that vehicle? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's a variety of teams that are that are kind of all working together to deliver that overall customer experience for sure. But yes, it's, yeah, we can't just focus in silos on certain area of responsibility. We have to step back and say, okay, what is the, what is the actual customer experience that they're, that we're delivering? And is this really what's, what's going to resonate with our customers? There's a lot of aspects in life where light plays a very important role. Are you looking at the lighting of the interior of the vehicle? Perhaps it's a little too harsh if you're getting the vehicle after a dinner or if you're trying to find your vehicle. Are you looking at all of those different lighting elements that the person gets in and says, oh, I'm relaxed. This is not that bright light where you're in the supermarket, for example. Right. Yeah. So definitely like a kind of interior ambient illumination is is a big part of trying to set that experience of what someone is, what their, what their emotions are within the vehicle that can definitely play a big part of that. So yeah, having, having the right type of illumination as well as the ability to customize, because we, you know, we see from, from research that that's definitely an area that people want to be able to personalize. So yeah, definitely understanding based on the time of day, the intensity that's needed, the location of various lights, all that plays into to, uh, 
uh, how we deliver a, a good overall experience, including the, the lighting. In addition to, I mean, it's not just visual, but like sound, uh, you know, kind of the, the types of sounds, the types of beeps that, that you get, or different alerts, you know, how the, the actual sound output, what, what, how the user responds to that type of sound is, is really important in delivering that overall experience. Sounds fascinating. If you go back in history and look what George Lucas did with THX to make the sound for, for Star Wars and all the different things they did to achieve that right sound. Sound's an art form. There's no other way to describe it. It's an art form. So we, we talked about lighting. We've, we've talked about sound, the, the seating position, the way that the buttons, the different colors. Does that all eventually translate into the app that when you go in your vehicle, it's fully customized? And if it does, does that become a defining factor for customer loyalty? I want to stay with Nissan because if I go from the Aria vehicle that's called Nissan Vehicle 2, Nissan Vehicle 3, I can carry over my experiences, my preferences without having to start all over again? Yeah, we, we definitely think that that is, that is a factor that, that can drive customer loyalty. Again, I think that uh, when we look at the level of technology that's being added to vehicles and all the various settings for the different technologies, it, you know, it, it can be quite a daunting task to you know set up a new vehicle exactly the way you want to and a lot of people you know maybe set up some things but they give up because you know it's just it's too much so they they just leave everything as, as default but so what we're trying to deliver is uh, uh, an easy experience that someone can customize and once they go through that process that they can carry it over to their next vehicle or you know their spouse's vehicle so yes once once that experience is delivered, we think that that is something that people will want to maintain once they once they have that good experience going from vehicle A to vehicle B, that's something that they'll maintain and can build loyalty. As you look at UX, you do research, you speak with research groups, focus groups, you speak with customers. Is there a common denominator or a trend that stands out where it's the most commonly requested in vehicle features says, okay, Adam, this is really the one that's consistent across the board that your consumers want. I think an easy one to say is, uh, you know, CarPlay or Android Auto, right? Like that's because it's it's what people are familiar with, right? It's it's their their phone environment is what is what they're used to. They interact with it very frequently throughout the day, and they just want a simple and intuitive interface, just like their phone. So that's that's a real easy one that we you know that we, that we frequently see in various types of studies that are done but yeah there's there's lots of things uh depending on the different user type of of what sort of things that they're requesting in the future and that ties in the philosophy around consumers they're going to define the future mobility and the wonderful engineers at nissan and, and the great designers they're going to build that feature and i want to highlight the sae foundation flipbook here for a moment sae and nissan advancing equitable access to stem as there's a quote that stood out to me in that book, I'd like to read to you. Nissan is committed to advancing social, economic, and environmental sustainability while breaking down accessibility barriers to increase STEM diversity and inclusion. It's really impressive because for more than 20 years, a strategic $2.8 million investment, I repeat, a $2.8 million investment, Nissan's worked with the SAE Foundation to reach the youngest learners through SAE, a world in motion. Why was the decision made and why is Nissan continuing to support the SAE Foundation? I think that a World in Motion is a is a really great program. It, it's something that I, that I've been involved with in the, in the past, and I've always gotten a 
great experience about uh, kind of working with you know various ages of kids, seeing some reaction to you know various experiments, kind of teaching the scientific process a little bit, and then just seeing seeing you know some of the kids' eyes open up and, and you can see the learning happening. And, and so I think it's it's really important to be able to reach out in the community and be able to interact and, and, and help guide various kids to, to show them what may be possible. Because uh, again, what we're designing right now, we're designing building blocks that future generations are going to take further and develop something even more phenomenal than what we're doing right now. So we, at least our philosophy at Nissan is, is to always have a continual process of evolution. So that's not just vehicle evolution, but also our most important resources, which is kind of all the people that, that work uh, at Nissan. So that includes future generations of Nissan employees. So I think that's why it's, it's such an important part of, of what, was, what was done by Nissan to support the SAE Foundation is to make sure that, um, that we can support and, and influence the future generation of uh, engineers and leaders. You're inspiring young individuals to become leaders. You're inspiring young individuals to take on challenges. I love the building blocks analogy. I use one very similar Legos. You're giving them the, the green little Lego base to, to build whatever their imagination comes to peace because you're providing that inspiration. What was the inspiration for, for you for going into design in the automotive industry? Well, I mean, it was actually interesting. So I, I've always been good at math and science. So initially I was thinking like, okay, I'll be a uh, college professor or something really good at that. That's where I'm, I'm skilled. So, but I, I also really loved working on cars and I thought, well, I'd, I'd love to have, you know, a side business as like a, uh, you know, fixing up hot rods or, you know, kind of classic cars and things. And it wasn't really until later in high school that I realized that, oh, I, I could do both. I could apply my skills that I'm good at math and science and develop cars and work on cars. I could do both. So for me, that was that was kind of an eye-opening thing. And when I talk to, to young people, I, I try to frame it in that aspect of, yeah, really identify what your passions are. What, you know, what, what are you really, what would you really enjoy doing? And also identify where are your skills at? Where, where um, you know, what are you, you good at? And where's their overlap between those things? And that's really where you might find a lot of successes where you have that overlap of passion and skill. What did you want to teach in college? I'm curious now. Either math or physics. So either calculus or physics. I know I'm weird, but. You're smart. I'll sum it up that way. You're smart. <laughs> you're not going to be a college professor in physics if you're not very smart. I love that journey. You go from college professor to doing really wonderful design at Nissan. So you're having that approach baked in economics. How do you see the traditional automotive industry changing as it becomes the global mobility industry? We're seeing this this very big shift there. Yeah, so I, I think that, um, I mean, the shift has already started to happen, but we see a much broader, as it relates to engineers within the, within the industry, I think we see somewhat of a shift between most of the kind of engineering background uh, in, in traditional automotive was primarily mechanical mechanical or electrical, we're seeing much more broad need of different types of uh, skills, different types of education. So I, I think that is, that trend is going to continue. And then again, just in, in the area that I work in, I see a much broader need for UX professionals 
that really understand the psychology of how users interact with things to understand the why behind they, they are doing what they're, they're doing. So as kind of our industry is changing, I see a, a broader need of experience in education beyond kind of the, the more traditional um, uh, engineering fields that, that we've seen in the past. You, to be a great UX person, you need two things, in my opinion. You need a great understanding of historical design, of how design has evolved. You need a really good understanding of art. And then you have to understand how the technology will interact. Because if you can put those things together where you can understand the history of design, how technology reacts, and then on the backside, that study the human, you've got something really special there. To get there, you need hands-on. You have to go to the art books. You have to go to the museums, you have to go find, go out to Las Vegas desert where they have all those weird designs there just to understand all these different things. That's where it's coming from. How do we get more children to understand that you have to roll up your sleeves and I use the word explore to truly understand design? That's a good, that's a good point. I mean, I think that uh, experience is a, a good point. I think that the having different opportunities for people to experience what you had mentioned, you know, different aspects of design, different aspects of technology. And I think most importantly, different aspects of how people interact or how people think about things. Cause that's ultimately that, that is the kind of the, the true question is really understanding the user. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the industry or how many user studies you've done. There's always new things that we're learning every single user study we do. So there's always new learnings that are out there. So I, I think, um, you know, how to, how to get, you know, young people aware of, you know, these types of things that are needed going forward. It's really about, you know, providing the opportunity for that type of experience to be able to, to see the unexpected learnings that we, that we get from different user studies. I mean, one thing of exploring, you visit a Frank Lloyd Wright house to understand as design philosophy for the house. You can learn a lot and understand where the gentleman was going that or visit a Frank Geary building can learn a lot from, from architecture that you can eventually put into the vehicle. Putting this all together, in your opinion, Adam, what is the future of mobility? Well, I mean, it's a pretty broad question, but uh, I mean, I guess future of mobility, at some point we're going to get to fully autonomous vehicles and when exactly that happens depends on kind of who you ask, but <laughs> at some point we'll get there. And what does that mean for our experience with vehicles? How does that change how we view our vehicle? I think it, it changes it somewhat if we're kind of all passengers instead of drivers and passengers. But I think that there are still a lot of core elements of the vehicle ownership experience that may remain consistent for certain user groups, but then there are other user groups that will view mobility very differently as a transactional experience, that, that it's just a, a way to get from A to B. So I, I think, again, understanding the user, understanding those differences in the user is really important to make sure that we can cater the experience to the right, the right user. I'll sum it up this way. There's not a one-size-fits-all solution for the future of mobility. Different use cases for diff different individuals all over the globe. And as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation around design and Nissan, what would you like the listeners to take away with them today? I guess I'd like people to, to know that you know, we, we have a great group of UX professionals, you know, engineers, designers, product specialists, that 
every day we're working to, to deliver great user experiences. Um, so any opportunities that, that exist for, for feedback uh, on you know, your experiences with your vehicle, whether it's you know, through third party surveys or through you know, online reviews or through customer clinics, those are all great opportunities that, uh, that, that we take and definitely others in the industry take uh, really to heart to, to deliver, um, to deliver a, a very good user experience. So I, I like people to realize that, that UX is, is never kind of a, an endpoint. We, we never have an endpoint. Things are constantly changing, especially in the area of technology that we, that we work in. So it's a continuous improvement that we're, that we're working every day to, to build on the, the wins that we've had in the past and to make each, each experience that much better. So that's, I think, the main thing I like uh, people to take away. UX is critical to the overall experience. Nissan is delivering great user experiences, what Adam and the team are building, because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is Nissan. Adam, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we hear from Brian Stewart, Global Program Engineering Manager at Cadillac Lyric. He'll discuss the launch of the company's first all-electric vehicle, the Lyric midsize SUV, and its advanced technology features. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.